The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As we take a look at the happenings, Mike Zuzalo joins us with Global Commodity Analytics. And I think, Mike, the best way to start out this market discussion on a Tuesday is the markets are starting to make sense. And for so many folks, there's been a lot of head scratching lately trying to figure out which direction and the whys and hows within the market trade. Yeah, and I think, you know, two weeks ago or so when we made that top in the corn and beans in the midst of the hot weather and the terrible planting situation, um, it didn't make a lot of sense from a standpoint of the market going down at that point except from a standpoint of the outside market, Susan, and the technicals. And that that's kind of what I'm lending my mindset towards as far as what makes sense about this market. It's not that these corn is back down to... 420 testing a major support level and trying to get closer to a gap being filled um, from a standpoint of the supply demand fundamentals pushing it down that way and down towards that way in fact the opposite should be the case given the crop conditions and given that six of the biggest states and of the 18 corn states in the country are 50 below 50 percent good excellent conditions what makes sense about this market is we've been for the last three weeks really running an outside market theme in other words the dollar making fresh five-week highs. Why? Because almost all the key central banks in the world are starting to talk about easing their policy rates, lowering their interest rates to stimulate the global economy because they're scared. Well, that's a deflationary mindset. That means that the the central banks are coming in because they don't think the global economy is strong enough, and that usually helps the dollar go higher. And so I think the good news here, I think, is that as we get closer to the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank, and the People's Bank of China getting ready to report and talk and and actually give us their policy in the next week or so. We've priced a lot of this already in, so I'm hopeful and encouraged that maybe the U.S. dollar has done its job as far as going in and being a safe haven and going up to this five-week high. I'm hoping that we're getting close to the top on that dollar trade. Well, so much of the way that dollar trades and the effects that we're seeing coming out of South America and and where those purchases are coming from. We know buyers are going to look for the best deal. And a lot of it's been looking to our neighbors to the south. It has been. And, and, you know, you also have a situation where we are in the crude oil markets and in the energy markets uh, very linked together as far as the agriculture and the corn and the ethanol. And one thing to bring it back to Tuesday's trade, what was the percentage leader in the markets on Tuesday? Well, it was actually the ethanol. The ethanol spiked 2% and came out of the doldrums. And I think that was an extremely powerful uh, move for a daily trade and that in the midst of the dollar making these new highs which puts pressure on crude oil because they have such a negative relationship with one another especially the u.s crew that's traded in new york the the wti and so i like the fact that we saw the arbob come in the unleaded gas come in and rally about two percent august ethanol is going to close up about 2.3 percent that's really good as far as not having uh, a negative force pressuring the corn market and so you add to that the noon gfs model coming in drier and making a little bit more sense in terms of it's lining up better with the european model for the next seven days and all of a sudden that crop condition going down one point makes 
a lot more sense. You know, Reuters earlier had talked about U.S. ethanol plants expected to cut their output because of the fact that they can't afford Midwest corn right now. And, and that's going to happen. I mean, I, th- I think that's where you are probably going to have to see ethanol plants and livestock plants uh, vie for the exact same bushel of, of, uh, of corn. So livestock feeders and ethanol plants are probably going to have to uh, compete with one another between now and the beginning of October. And in real time, the uh, Chicago Mercantile ethanol crush margin that I keep track of uh, on a lead month basis is still running about uh, 10 cents a gallon negative as far as if you'd crush corn at these prices and that's the futures price not the cash price so we are running in the red in the ethanol and the livestock people are starting to see their hay prices go up and so i think it is going to be tough on the feed side that's something you and i talked about i think at the end of our last segment uh last time we talked about a week ago is getting those uh, needs locked in going into september and i think that's still a very good idea i'm hoping at this stage though that the fat cattle and the feeders start to go up with the corn market i think we're on our way at this stage with the hogs coming back around you talked a little bit about that report of yesterday and and it's kind of for folks in nebraska in areas of minnesota as well as some smidges of wisconsin are hearing the excitement about them being better off than the other stage which is something usually this time of year we're not in those high regards no that's exactly right and i think that you would be surprised if not shocked to travel through illinois and indiana and Missouri, and in the case of soybeans, even Kansas, we're right at 50% good to excellent uh, for my state. But when you look at the corn and the beans in Illinois, you're only at 43% good to excellent in corn and 45% in beans. Indiana's even worse. Indiana and Missouri are kind of racing to the bottom. Indiana's good to excellence only 35% in corn and 36 in the beans. So when you have six of the 18 states are literally one-third of all the major corn producing states below 50 percent and their key major producing states nebraska kentucky and parts of minnesota as you say are the garden spots but there's a lot of holes out there and i think that's where if you had to ask me right now is usda's 166 corn yield and 48 and a half bushel bean yield the yield i'd say no it's probably the very top end right now and another week of dry weather, I think I could shave a couple bushels off of the beans and probably five bushels off of the corn. That's certainly where I'm heading. And we know there's going to be a lot of excitement coming around that August 12th report. Yes, and, and like you said at the top, we're probably not going to know a lot as far as what they actually give us in terms of USDA. Um, and and the, the key will be how the funds react. And if we have a USDA report that comes in with the dollar going down, I'll be a lot more eager to watch the grains and think that maybe the grains have more upside. That's what hurt us this last time around. Well, stick around, folks. We do have more coming up here on the Fontenelle Final Bell. We're going to look at an interesting story that Mike sent out to his subscribers. Stick around. More is coming up. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzalo is joining us this afternoon. And uh, subscribers got an interesting um, email that came out, oh, late morning, really talking about where we were going to see uh, minimum payments to U.S. farmers and looking at about $15 an acre, according to Purdue. Yes, that's right. It looks like uh, Secretary of Ag Purdue is coming out with a lot more information. He started today, and he, uh, this is from the Reuters Newswire, Susan, talking about a minimum of $15 per acre um, because of the trade war with China and that we should get a lot more information 
uh, before the week ends, in his opinion. And uh, we're looking at a total of about $16 billion is still the number. Uh, I have talked to a couple clients uh, when this came out, and they were getting their acres certified and getting it to FSA offices. Uh, I did speak to one client in particular who had been in the FSA office in Indiana, and they said they were probably going to be trained on either Wednesday or Thursday and have a lot more information. So I would guess Friday would be the day that we'll see a lot more information. So with that information coming, obviously, through Reuters from the Ag Secretary, do you see a downside to the information that's coming out, Mike? Unfortunately, I think there is, Susan, because we've seen some pretty negative features to the U.S.-China trade negotiations. They're they're just tense. That's the best way to look at it. And we see it in the bean market with the idea that China reportedly wanted U.S. ag exporters to lower tariffs to buy U.S. beans. That obviously didn't come through. We are going to be seeing the negotiators from the United States heading back to China for face-to-face talks on Monday. This is coming from Bloomberg this afternoon. But I got to say that the $15 per acre and that $16 billion coming through from the USDA and from the Trump administration is probably because we aren't back on track yet. And it's going to be a while before we get back on track. And I've always associated China and the United States and our, our economic trade policy with the Trump administration's foreign policy with North Korea. And I think that by the, the fact that we're talking again about North Korea maybe resuming uh, missile testing, we see that Russia and China are now doing uh, uh, together. They're doing air flights over the South China Sea, some military drills, uh, maybe to compensate or to offset what the United States and South Korea plan to do. This all works into our ag policy nowadays, in my opinion. And so I don't think we're close to a U.S.-China trade agreement. I think we're going to have to see China weaken a lot more economically, and and maybe it does come through the pork price, and maybe it does come through the food inflation and the Hong Kong protests, but I think that's going to take some time. So that, if I had to guess, that was probably why we're moving ahead uh, as aggressively as Secretary Purdue is. Before we jump over to the livestock, I wanted to ask you real quick. We are seeing a wrap-up to the Kansas wheat harvest. Now, the Kansas wheat tour finishing up. Now we're seeing the Wheat Quality Council switching to a spring wheat tour uh, getting underway in areas of North Dakota and South Dakota. Talking about some disease concerns and some pest concerns, what are you hearing? Is the market, is that part of the reason why we saw such a steady trade today? Yeah, I think that the, the dark northern spring wheat is going to be probably more of the short side of spreads again if we start talking quality and it becoming a feed grain up in that part of the country because their negative basis levels, uh, I think it was a year or two ago, just got astronomically poor. And I remember that very vividly how the, you know, the dark northern spring wheat was just in a terrible cash position because of the quality issues and, and to a lesser degree, oversupply issues. Now, having said that, we just came off of a record low as far as I see it on my charts between the dark northern spring wheat spread versus the soft red wheat spread. So I'm hoping that we don't have too much farther to fall, maybe no more than 15 or 20 cents in that spread and then make a double bottom and then we can grind our way out. But what we really need are the spring wheat conditions to show uh, either a sharp improvement or a sharp degradation so that uh, traders don't get too negative. I think we're seeing some of that in Europe as well because some of the quality in the European winter wheat harvest is questionable, and that's been some of the negativity that's kind of breached into our uh, wheat futures market uh, this week as well. Over to the cattle side of the trade, Mike, we saw some light to moderate gains. Obviously, cash isn't going to happen this early in the trade, but are we looking long-term for this cattle market to see positives? 
Yeah, I really think so. I mean, the cattle hog spread, August minus August, is down to $24. That matches last year's lows. So if the cattle want to go up and they've been waiting on the hogs, they don't have to wait any longer. Uh, I felt like that while the cattle on feed report was maybe a little bit negative for the marketings, it was very positive for the placements. So the feeder cattle have upside potential, Susan. And I think maybe most importantly, the cold storage stocks this week showing I think we were down about 12% in cold storage supplies as of the end of June in beef uh, versus last year at this time. Uh, I think these are all fundamental factors that say our global protein supplies are no longer going up. They're probably shrinking, especially because we continue to see African swine fever in Southeast Asia and also in Eastern Europe. All right, sounds good. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Mike? best way to get a hold of me is to go to globalanalytics.biz and sign up for a trial. Lots of audio and charts and graphics on, on grains and livestock and outside markets. If you're not big in the web, just give me a call and uh, I'll talk to you for, be happy to after the market closes. 866-471-2588. All right, sounds good. That's the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle and all the local dealers on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.